this morning, I'm going to get to Ruth chapter 3. Hey, yeah. I know you guys have been waiting for that for a long time. And uh, I want to read you a couple of scriptures uh, in advance of Ruth chapter 3. So um, as we get started, maybe you can um, keep your finger in Ruth chapter 3, but let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, there's a passage, I'm not going to comment on it, I'm just going to read it. Just going to read it and then we'll bring it into our commentary a little bit later. Galatians chapter 5. There's a matching passage in the book of Romans chapter 8, but we're not going to read Romans 8 today. I'll just give it to you if you're taking notes and you want to do a little study yourselves. Romans 8 and Galatians 5 match in in some ways. And uh, I want to read Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 through the end of the chapter. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's read that again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. 
I'm going to read from verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Just that verse. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. That is notoriously difficult to translate in the original Greek. That verse is one of the most troubling passages to, for translators because it's really, it's really ambiguous in many ways, and it's very hard to land on a meaning. So commentators have wrestled over that for centuries and uh, try to figure out just exactly what it means. Don't you love the way Jesus speaks like that? <laughs> he gives us something that can mean many things, and all of them are a challenge. Every one of them is a challenge. No matter how you look at it, it's a challenge. Jesus gives us these amazing statements because he wants us to take some time with them. They're challenging to our hearts, and if we just pass through it without thinking about it, it will have no effect on us whatsoever. But if you spend some time here and you contemplate what Jesus is meaning in making this statement, it has the potential to change your entire life. So this verse, Matthew 11, verse 12, is very important for where we're going today, and I just want you to keep it in mind. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So... Um, how many of you remember that in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand? Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 3, I believe it is. Jesus also followed up and began preaching, and uh, he also began to preach that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, does anybody have any idea what it means, at hand? Did somebody ask this question? Did you ask this question a couple of weeks ago? What does it mean, at hand? Somebody asked this recently. What does it mean to be at hand? Yes. Here now, near, yeah, that's good, as in, as in it's close to you, right? Like, these things are probably at hand, are they not? Because here's my hand, there they are, they're at my hand. I'd like to suggest that the idea of the kingdom of God being at hand is potentially translated this way. The kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. The kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. This is the message that John the Baptist came preaching. The kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. It could mean the kingdom of heaven has arrived and is close by and is right about to happen. It's at hand as in the time is right now, as you say. And this is a good way of translating it also. But for the sake of what I'm going to preach today, I'd like to suggest, let's think about it as being within our reach, within our grasp. Jesus preached this message. John the Baptist preached this message. And I'm going to preach the message to you today through Ruth chapter 3. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 3. Finally, we're getting there. It's taken me 12 weeks or something to get to Ruth chapter 3. It's a record. Okay, Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he, was, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Okay, just a little background. If you've already forgotten the first two chapters because it's been so long. Naomi, is a widow, her husband died, her two sons died, the daughters-in-law, she wanted to send them back to their families. They were living in Moab at the time, foreign nation, across the border, not in Israel, not in the promised land. Naomi tried to send her daughters-in-law back. One of them went, one of them refused to go. She said, your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you stay, I'm going to stay. And that was the beginning of this most beautiful story. Ruth is that daughter-in-law to Naomi, and 
she has gone with Naomi back to Bethlehem. We've been talking about this idea of Bethlehem, how Bethlehem is important in the biblical narrative. And, uh, and it's not just important because of the Christmas story, but it's important even before that. It's important prophetically, and it has quite a lot of substance in terms of what it should mean in our lives today. Nevertheless, you want to hear all that, go back and listen to previous sermons. Here's the thing. Naomi and Ruth went back to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, Ruth began to work for the betterment of her mother-in-law. She decided that she would take care of her mother-in-law through her own efforts to go out and work in the fields, gleaning. Basically, that means reaping in the harvest, but not part of the harvest team, going and picking up what was left behind in the harvest, which, according to Jewish law, was to be left for the poor. And so she, as a widow herself and the daughter-in-law of a widow, somewhat destitute, she went and she worked. And we already mentioned that this is very pleasing to God. And it's also very pleasing to all the people who read this story because we see this work ethic in her that says, I am not going to just roll over and die. I am going to put my back into this. I'm going to make every effort to fulfill my promise, which is wherever you go, I go. Wherever you stay, I stay. Your God's going to be my God. So she ends up her chance in the field of this fellow Boaz, who is a wealthy landowner who happens to be single. He's also older. We don't know anything about him. He's, we don't know why he's single. He may be superbly handsome, rich old guy who just couldn't find the right girl, or maybe he's not so good looking. Maybe there are many reasons why no girls would go for this guy. I don't know, but he's a very nice man. We've seen him so far in chapter 2, and uh, we've seen that he's a man full of Jesus. He's full of his well, he's full of God. He's, he, he blesses everywhere he goes. He blesses people in the name of the Lord, and they bless him in return, which means he's got a great reputation in his community. He's a hard worker. He employs other people. He's good to his workers, and he notices the poor. He notices this girl, and he protects her from potential harm, and he makes sure she's taken care of the entire harvest season. It's a beautiful story of somebody reaching out and doing benevolent work on behalf of of somebody in need. And so far, the story's been a beautiful display of the kind of attitude we ought to have, both the attitude to go ahead and to put our back into the effort, because God will bless that, but also the attitude we ought to have towards those who are in need so that we can give to them as well when they show themselves to be looking to God to be their solution. These are beautiful principles that make for the kingdom of God. And if I say the kingdom of God is at hand, this is the kind of at hand we have. This is within our grasp. Good work ethic and benevolence, these are attitudes that we ought to be adopting as we look to the king of all kings to be our king. We're looking for a king, King Jesus, and he is displaying through this story what his kingdom looks like. So it's within our grasp to do these things. The kingdom of God is at hand. But it's going to get much better. It's going to get much better. The harvest has come to an end. And so Ruth and Naomi's opportunity for, for provision is coming to an end. During harvest, there was plenty of work. But now it's over. The harvest has been taken to the threshing floor. This is not the place for the reapers and for the gleaners anymore. It's now Boaz's place to rejoice in the harvest that's making him rich. And it's, uh, and, and it's not a place for Ruth anymore. Naomi, at this point, basically says to her daughter-in-law, I-, I ought to be preparing some kind of rest for you. And that word rest means a home, a place where you can have permanence. 
She says, I think I've got an idea. Because as it turns out, Boaz has been showing quite a bit of attention to Ruth. He's treated her very well. And Naomi's beginning to pick up on this. She's recognizing that Boaz has got an eye for Ruth. And it turns out Ruth may have a little bit of an eye for Boaz. I don't know if this is like a biblical, a biblical example of, uh, what do you call it, matchmaking? I don't know if this is the biblical permission slip that you guys need to be matchmakers. Some of you girls are like, yes, I'll do that. Maybe you want to be the Naomi. I don't know, but it is a beautiful story, and it makes, it makes for a, a, a wonderful read. Naomi sees the potential here, and she recognizes that Ruth has been all focused on work and is not ready to take the initiative in a relationship. And so she's going to prompt it to take it a little bit deeper. Draw me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. Naomi recognizes she has some responsibility for this young one under her charge. And she recognizes that it is well within, well within her ability to give advice. Let me just say this as a, just a passing note. Some of us are in the position of giving advice to others about how to draw closer to Jesus. I want you to look at the story of Ruth and Naomi as a metaphor, essentially, of discipleship. A metaphor of discipleship in the Christian world. And, uh, and Naomi has an obligation from a moral standpoint in some ways, as, as Ruth does to her. But, but she has this beautiful opportunity and she doesn't pass it up. So let me encourage you, when you see someone who's all about work and doing the right thing, has got all the right work ethic in terms of their Christian faith, but you recognize that they could use a little intimacy in their relationship with Jesus. Those of you who are older and more mature and recognize that what we do for the Lord is not as important as who we are in the Lord, I just want to encourage you, help them draw a little closer. Help them draw a little closer. Introduce them to some devotional materials, perhaps. Secrets of the Secret Place has been a great one for us, Bob Sorge's book. And, uh, but encourage people to get a little closer to Jesus. Because although he's about the harvest, Jesus is about so much more than that. I once heard somebody say to me, we'll work for Jesus here. We'll get to love on Jesus later when we're in heaven. In the meantime, this is the place for work. So work, work, work. Put your head down and do the work for the Lord. And I'd like to say I think that that's a faulty perspective. I think it's a faulty perspective. It, while it is wonderful to do things for the Lord and to accomplish many, many missions for the Lord, and you know, Ron and I, Katrina and Tammy and, and I, we, just, we, we went on a mission, and, uh, and how wonderful it is to do that. But let me tell you, there's nothing that must ever take the place of your intimacy with the Lord. Because that's where the strength comes from. All the things we do for him will eventually fade. The work of our hands will be tested through the fire. Some of it will come through and some of it won't. But our relationship with Jesus is of paramount importance. And you must share that with others, especially the younger ones. Perhaps the reason, Jason, one of the reasons why the church is ineffectual is because we have very little intimacy with God. And we don't teach our children how to have intimacy with God. Anyway, I'm getting hung up on this one point. Can you tell I like this point? It's an important point. Anyway. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative? 
with whose young women you were. See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. Solid plan. How many of you guys like this plan? You know, it's kind of written with a little ambiguity in it, isn't it? The, the, the author is using words that in other parts of Scripture have, mm, they have some, some different meanings. And uh, there are euphemisms that are being employed here. And it is excellent storytelling because as you're listening to Ruth's, uh, the instructions that Naomi is giving to Ruth, you're thinking, oh, ooh, that's dangerous. Uh, but at the same time, you're thinking, ooh, chutzpah, right there. I mean, like. Wow, okay. Uh, look, it's not a woman's place to be at the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place where the men take off their shirts and they throw the, 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 the grain up in the air and the chaff blows away and the grain falls down. It's hard work and it's celebratory work and it's, it's, it's a lot of effort, but there's a lot of sweaty guys around and it's not a place for a woman. So Naomi's like, I see the, I see the timing here. We're running out of time. And Ruth, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to take that initiative before this time runs out. And you need to be there and you need to show Boaz that, that you're okay with the potential of a relationship here that's a little deeper than employer-employee, if you know what I mean. So, so put on your finest robes. Put on a really nice dress. Now, I know we don't have a lot here, but, but, but you know what? We, we'll wash this one. We'll iron it out. We'll make it nice. And, and you know, we'll put on some, let's, let's, we'll take a little extra money. Maybe we'll sell some of that grain Boaz gave us. We'll buy a little perfume for you. Get dressed up, wash up, get some perfume on, and just go hide at the threshing floor. They're going to have a party afterwards. They're going to eat. They're going to drink. He's going to be a little, you know, hmm, he might not recognize a whole lot of people by the time he's finished eating and drinking, which, by the way, was culturally appropriate in those days. I suppose, to a certain extent. Uh, not permission for us now, three, 4,000 years later, to do the same kinds of things. But anyway, just saying. When he's asleep and everybody's gone, then you can kind of sneak out of the shadows and you can go over and you can just uncover his feet. Because in the midnight hour, he's going to get cold. He can't feel it right now. He's had a little too much wine. It's, he's excited. Everything's good. He's sweaty and whatever. But in the middle of the night, he's going to get cold. And when he wakes up, he needs to find you there. What well, is a dangerous place to be, don't you think? Except that up until this point, we've already been told that Boaz is a man of integrity. We already recognize he's a man of integrity. He is not a man given to his vice, to, to any kind of vice. He's not a man... Lacking self-control. And then again, Ruth is also not a woman lacking self-control. She's disciplined. She has actually, she says right here, it says in verse 5, she replied, all that you say, I will do. All that you say, I will do. She's committed to obeying her mother-in-law as a righteous act, honoring her parents, as it were, to do what her mother-in-law says. And her mother-in-law is kind of setting up a marriage proposal here, but she doesn't have the wherewithal to make the marriage proposal in the normal way. She doesn't have a husband who could then go to Boaz and negotiate or any of this kind of stuff. She, she doesn't have that for, for her daughter now. So, so she has to go about it in, in a, what appears to be a sneaky way, but it's actually, it's actually really not. They're taking some risks for sure. 
But what I want you to notice in this passage is that in spite of those risks, the honor and integrity of these people remains intact. So, so listen carefully to this. Remember in Galatians chapter 5, we read about the, about the, f- the flesh and the spirit fighting against each other. I don't have time to read you all of this Ruth chapter 3 here. Um, well, maybe I should. Let me just read it through, and then, and then I'll talk about that, the spirit. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. In other words, she did not take initiative of her own. She did what she was told to do. And this is therefore, we're being shown in the language that she is being disciplined. She's not being, she's not being uh, um, impetuous or not impetuous is the wrong word. She's not being impulsive. She is doing exactly what she's told to do. Now, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Wow, yeah, he's startled too. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Uh, Just real quick, we don't have time to talk about the redemption uh, uh, clause in the law, but Deuteronomy chapter 27, I believe it is, or 25, uh, explains the, the role of a kinsman redeemer in redeeming a family who, uh, where, where a widow has been left with no children, her husband's died, and, uh, and she is to be wed to her husband's brother, who is to raise up offspring through her in order to keep the inheritance within the family name. It's, a, it's an old Jewish law. God gave it to these people, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's totally strange for us in our current context, in our cultural context, but it was a beautiful thing. And, uh, and we, we do see an example of it in the story of Judah and Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. It's not a good story, uh, but it is a story of redemption, uh, of, of, um, uh, of leveret marriage, uh, what it's called, in, in uh, Genesis 38. And it is actually a very important part of Jewish history, a really big important part, and it actually plays a part in this story as well, a little bit later, the Judah, Judah and Tamar story. But for whatever it's worth, if you want to know more about that, check it out uh, in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's 25, 26, somewhere around there, about leveret marriage. You are a redeemer. In other words, you are a kinsman, and I'm asking you to marry me. So she's giving the marriage proposal in this place. So she's really, I mean, this is chutzpah for sure. Usually it's the other way around. The man seeks out the woman. In this case, she's seeking out the man. And the reason why it's so beautiful is because she's young. He's old. But she has not gone after the young. Listen to what he says. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Take a look at that. My daughter. So he quickly, very quickly establishes the safety of Ruth in this very dangerous moment. He's a man who's been working hard. He's now woken up in the middle of the night after quite a bit of wine. It's a dangerous situation for her. She could easily be taken advantage of. But immediately he establishes the relationship. He defines the relationship right there. He says, my daughter. Okay? So he says, I'm not going to violate you right here. This is a man exercising extreme self-control. Think about it. He's a single man. He's never had a wife, as far as we know. Never been married. Doesn't have any children. So we don't know the extent of his activity, if you know what I'm saying. Here he has a woman at his feet. She's beautiful. She's 
a hard worker. He already likes her a whole lot. And she's presenting herself to him saying, marry me. And he says, my daughter. That's important to note. Some commentators think stuff went on here, but those commentators are wrong because the entire passage would fall apart. The entire story would fall apart if Boaz took advantage of Ruth in that situation. If they consummated something without being married, it would have made the next passage in chapter 4 impossible. So we know for certain that the storyteller has brought you to this place where you recognize how vulnerable they are, how dangerous it is in the situation, and yet the self-control that they, that they exercise because there's something greater at work here than the satisfaction of their desires in that moment. Does that make sense? Yes. So, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have, gone, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That were, those words, worthy woman, that's very important. Again, demonstrating that he is showing her her value. He is declaring her to be a worthy woman, and he is not making her worthy because of her physical attractiveness. He is making her worthy because of her character. You understand? So he is saying to her, all the town already knows that you are a worthy woman. Those words, worthy woman, the same words used in Proverbs 31. Okay? But also the same words used in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth to describe Boaz as a worthy man. Okay? And the same words that are used of, jo of uh, Gideon when the, when the Spirit of the Lord comes to him and says, uh, Gideon, you are, what does he, what does he say? Um, Mighty man of valor. That's the same words. Okay, so what are we seeing here? We're seeing in this situation that Boaz has the opportunity to give in to the, to the flesh or to allow the Holy Spirit to govern his life. And I want to present to you in this situation what is, in my opinion, one of the most important kingdom principles as we look to Christ as our king and us being in his kingdom. This is where the kingdom of God is at hand, okay? This is where the kingdom of God is within your grasp. Not a kingdom we're waiting for to arrive when Jesus comes on the white horse, which we are still waiting for that, but I'm talking about the kingdom that's here and now that you and I need to apprehend. The kingdom of God is able to be apprehended by you, by me right now, through this principle, which absolutely sets the story apart in all stories of the Bible, sets it apart as the most beautiful, not only love story, but prophetic fulfillment of God's promise that a redeemer would come who would redeem all mankind. There is so much at stake here that if Boaz and Ruth were to give in to the desires of the flesh, they could have ruined the whole story. Let me ask you, let me ask you, how many decisions are you making based on your desire? You want to do it, so you do it. I think every one of us in this room can identify some or other thing in our lives where we are weak in terms of our resolve, where we give in to the desires of the flesh to follow through with stuff. I mean, for me, I got this really nice little this cookie upstairs that I'm going to eat later. And uh, I'm starting, I'm, I'm, I've got to behave myself and do good because, you know, I don't fit in my clothes anymore. But, but don't have the cookie. I know. But, but, but tomorrow I can start a diet, right? So, so here's the deal. Thank you, Rita. I love you. 
Rita should, Rita should be my, my fitness instructor, I think. She, she really should be. You probably stop me from all kinds of, of you know, giving into the flesh. Anyway, thank you, Rita, for that. But here's the thing. There are, obviously, there are obviously things that are relatively benign, but there are things that actually have the power to change our destiny that we give into because we don't foresee the potential of holding fast to our faithfulness. You understand? This whole story about Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and all of that, we know because we've read the end of the book. You guys already read through it millions of times. <laughs> but you already know from the genealogy that we have at the end of this that this relationship results in King David. Okay? And King David results in Jesus, the Messiah, as we look through the genealogy. So Boaz and Ruth and the, and the beautiful redemption story that's in here is not just about an immediate redemption. It's about an eternal redemption. It's about God using this family and writing them into the story, the tapestry, with which he tells the gospel for all time. The potential for failure is it's huge, and it could be catastrophic. You and I have the privilege of knowing the end of the story. But imagine yourself into the situation where you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm running out of time. My only opportunity to earn money is running out. The harvest is over. I don't have any more employment. I've got to make this thing work. Okay, so you know what? Hmm. Let's see. Okay, I like Naomi's idea. I'm going to go to the threshing floor. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cinch the deal. Tonight is the night, Boaz. And after this, you're going to be mine. How easy it would be to step over into the flesh and to fulfill in the flesh what God started in the spirit. Don't you remember the book of Galatians? How could you, having started in the spirit, now think you can finish it in the flesh? Galatians chapter 3. I propose that this story ought to be part of our regular reading so that we can remember how a simple love story and simple everyday kind of things could actually impact so much. Lest we become unaware of the impact of every choice. In the flesh, we want to hold on to our rights to be angry be offended in the flesh we want to hold on to our right to say what we want to say to pursue who we want to pursue <laughs> I read a, an article today which shocked me it shouldn't about something I can't even tell you about from the pulpit but suffice it to say the world takes pride in their liberties for sensuality, to be led by their senses, to be led by their, their desires. Reading through a story in Reuters News today, it just, it, it just shocked me that there's, and I think it shocked the reporter who was reporting about it as well, because that's why the story is probably making some, making some news, news headlines. But, but the idea is preposterous, and, and, uh, and it ought to, you know, it's one of those things where you, you read it and you, and you want to react. Uh, it's incendiary, because it's morally reprehensible. But the world around us is making every effort to remove the moral 
peace from our decision-making. If we can call ourselves by a certain name, it can give us, it can give us a, a, a right to behave in a certain way. If we can, if we can decide that we, are, that we are identified as people who are more prone to act in a certain, in a certain manner, then that identification gives us the liberty to do that. And somebody else who chooses to do something else, who chooses a different way, well, that's their choice. My truth, your truth, we each get to live our own truth. Let's do that. Can I tell you that the moral obligation upon a human being can never be eliminated as long as God exists? We have moral obligation. No matter what you tell yourself, no matter how you identify yourself, there is a higher power than you. There is a higher authority than me. There is a higher authority to whom we will give an account. I'd like to suggest, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, that if we want to have... We want to apprehend the kingdom, which is right there. We're going to have to do it violently. I'd like to suggest that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. It's suffering violence absolutely all around us. There's violence against us. And, uh, but, but those of us who want to see the destiny of the Lord in our lives and in our generation, we're going to have to apprehend the kingdom and we're going to have to take it like we mean it. And we are going to have to live in the spirit, not according to the flesh. Boaz and Ruth choose to honor God. Listen to the rest of the story and then we'll, we'll end. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Boaz drops the bomb. There is a redeemer that's nearer than I. Excellent storytelling. We have a problem. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. What, wait, what? But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning. Ignore the euphemisms because it really means she lay at his feet. If she didn't, everything would have been ruined. You will have opportunity for the flesh. And it will be golden. They say opportunity knocks once. Opportunity to walk in the flesh knocks so many times it's incessant. You're going to have to do violence against it. You are going to have to violently deny your flesh. Jesus was crucified. We need to crucify our flesh. That's what Galatians tells us. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. I'm not really sure who he's telling that to. <laughs> Don't let anybody know that the woman came to the threshing floor. Is it, does he have servants who saw it? Secret, you know, 
Do you trust your servants that much, Boaz? Or is this a statement that he's just making to the Lord? Lord, don't let anybody know this woman was here. I don't know. But the secrecy of it is mysterious and it's wonderful. It's gentle. It's precious. He's protecting her reputation. He is making sure that she is well provided for. Listen to this. Bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it. He measured out six measures of barley. Put it on. That's a lot of barley. She had a big journey back to town with a lot of barley. And she went into the city. And when she came to, the, to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, <laughs> until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Wait, my daughter. Interesting word. It's the same word that's going to be used in the next chapter seven times within the first four verses. It's used in a different, it's translated as sit down. And Boaz sits down and he gathers the elders of the city to sit down and he calls the other redeemer to sit down. They all sit down. Everything happens when they sit down. Moral of the story is sometimes you've got to sit and just wait for God to do what he's going to do. When we are in a situation where we're trying to secure our well-being, we take initiative in it as much as we understand and as much as we're told. Naomi kind of plays the role of the Holy Spirit in this saying, get yourself all dressed up and go into the presence. of This is, this is us finding intimacy with the, with the Lord. It's in that place of intimacy that we inquire of the Lord and we demand of the Lord in a very beautiful way. Lord, take care of me. I need to be under your wing. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, that word dwell is the same word, Wait. It's the same word. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, under the wings of the Almighty, as it were. And that's exactly what Ruth is doing. She's finding herself under the wings of God through Boaz. I'm telling you, you're going to have to apprehend that violently. You know where you're giving into the flesh. And I'm telling you today, you've got to quit you got to stop. The destiny of you, your family, this church, the kingdom of God within your generation, it's all being dramatically affected by you and me living out our lives according to the flesh. We must, we absolutely must, make, we must wage war against the desires of our, of our flesh. Go read Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 again. And when you get to the part where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, let that be what you apprehend. That is the kingdom of God within your grasp. It's within your reach. Reach out and do it. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Which one did I forget? Faithfulness. Good on you. I love the book of Ruth. There's so much in there. Thank God for this beautiful gospel story right in the middle of the Bible. This beautiful story in the middle of all the darkness that's happening around. This beautiful story is happening. And it's the same thing that God's doing in your family right now. Right now. Just close your eyes for a minute. Right now, your family needs redemption. 
Right now, your family needs redemption. There are issues in your family that need God to come riding through to your rescue. Every single one of you can think of something that's happening inside of your family right now. And I'm telling you, you have two ways of going about it. You can go about it in the flesh or you can go about it in the spirit. You need to find yourself in that intimate place with the Lord at his threshing floor where he's separating out the wheat from the chaff. Let him separate out in your life wheat from chaff. And there in that place, present yourself to the Lord. There in the secret place, present yourself to the Lord. Put on the oil of joy instead of mourning. Prepare garments of praise and enter into his presence, not with complaining, not with misery. Enter into his presence. Set yourself apart to be desirable to the Lord. And in that place, get straight up honest with him. and Say, Lord, you are my redeemer. Redeem me. And then do not take matters into your own hands. Do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Seek after God and wait. And watch. He will not rest until he settles the matter. Father, we come before you today. Each of us with these issues in our hearts. Each of us with these issues in our lives that desperately need your redeeming power. We come to you, O Lord. And we recognize that you've got something far greater than meeting our need in mind. Not only will you meet our need, but you will shape us. You will love us. You will give us family. And you will prepare your kingdom through us. Jesus. I need your love like I need water. I need your love like I need breath inside of my lungs. Thank you, Father. I just want to say this real quick. Because I meant to say it earlier, and now I know I'm going on too long. But this is one last final statement. I think I've said that three times. Here's the final, final statement. The gospel is an interesting, it, it, it's an interesting thing. We've got to strike a balance between what we need to do and what we have done. Because I think many of us could sit here today and just feel very despondent about where we find ourselves and how we have given into the flesh so many times. Let me remind you, there is grace for sinners of whom you and I are the chief amongst them. There is grace. But let us not stop at grace for sinners. Let us recognize that there is power for the faithful. There's grace for sinners, but we don't stop there. We move on to become victorious in all things, to honor the Lord through faithfulness, to pursue righteousness at great cost, at all cost, and to honor the Lord with our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, that we may truly be shining lights in the midst of this dark generation. So yes, we will appeal to the grace and the mercy of God in our sin. We will cry out to him in repentance. We will turn from our sin and our wickedness. And we will find grace and love and place at his table. 
But then we will put on the armor of God. We will clothe ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We will take up the sword of the Spirit in our hands. We will take up the shield of faith and we will run headlong into the battle. And we will destroy devils for the kingdom's sake. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the Lord shine into the midst of your darkness and dispel every shadow, every fear, every anxiety. May the Lord pour out grace and blessing and abundance upon you as you seek to pursue him and as you follow him with your whole heart in the best way that you know how. As you put your heart to the scripture to obey the Lord, may the Lord meet you with unexpected bounty. Go in the grace and the peace of the Lord, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.